The Tech Journeys podcast is proudly brought to you by Progress Talent Solutions, the number one supplier of recruitment services to the fastest growing technology businesses in the UK and proud founders of the UK Tech Journeys community. If you're looking to grow your team or for that next career opportunity, then you can find their details in the About section below. Hello and welcome to the, the uh, Tech Journeys podcast. Um, today we're joined by Mark Chinnery, who is the Engineering Manager at TWI in Cambridge. Um, we'll be having a chat with Mark about his journey through technology, um, the things he's learned, uh, the things he may do differently. Uh, and then we're going to be moving on towards the end to have a chat around solving business problems using software. Um, so, hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hi, good. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, having a good day. Yeah. Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll say it again and I'll make sure everyone knows. Thanks for joining us on your day off. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, really appreciate it. Um, no so, Mark, where we usually like to start is with a simple question. Uh, and it's when, it, when do you remember first becoming interested in technology? Okay. Um, I think that's, that's sort of quite easy for me, really. I think I was probably about um, six or seven years old. Um, my dad um, worked at the computer lab at Cambridge University. He wasn't um, into computers or dealing with that kind of thing, but um, they had some um, BBC Model Bs computers. Do you remember from the, from the early 80s when they tried yeah, to get yeah. into schools and everything like that? So they had um, a couple of those. They were running some tests on. Um, and when they finished using them and um, they asked me if he wanted to bring one home um so i was quite lucky when i was sort of young and had a had an actual computer at home which obviously a lot of people didn't um so from that age i sort of had a computer at home and then i think i got uh, i went into a local bookstore and they had a, a programming on it for, for for children um so you could start to sort of learn a bit about basics so from sort of seven or eight i had little easy sort of basic things to do um, to follow so i think that was where i sort of first got interested in it because it was you know, making something appear on the screen and, and do it and you could sort of teach it to do what you wanted so um i was quite lucky in that respect i had a i had a disk drive for mine as well so there wasn't any tape loading up um it was fast compared to everybody else I had to wait for tapes and things to load up so i think i got was quite lucky with that quite early so it was um an introduction of to what you could do and then i think it sort of Went from there, um, you know, obviously um, we had that for a long time and then moved into sort of having a PC when I got to about sort of about 14 or 15. And, you know, and I just always, it was always interesting to me the, the controllability of being able to get it to do things for you. I guess I must be lazy in that respect. It could, it could <laughs> do stuff for me so I didn't have to. So, yeah. so, so it helped out. So, yeah, no, that was, that was so, sort of where it really started. What, what kind of things would you, um, would you build on that at such a young age then? Um, it was it was mainly just textual, obviously it's textual things. So, but you could sort of draw sort of ASCII type drawings with it, make it um, make it do that, um, and just you know ask it questions and answer very simple things. They're very simple things in basic, um, and you know sort of a, creating a loop to do something or repeat something, colors, sounds, you know, make it do what you wanted. So it was very simple things like that, but it was just really interesting. And then at school, we were quite lucky. We had one of the um, one of the turtles, they were called, and um, you had a pen you could put in it, and you could do drawings on the floor. So they used to use that as well. So we were quite lucky that you could see it doing things rather than yeah. just just on the screen. And that sort of that sort of really brought the interest in with it too. That you know you could see there was more to it than just sitting at the screen. You could control something. So, yeah. Do Do you know if there are any um, any kind of programs like that now that are angled towards younger children that you can kind of get for your, your computers, et cetera. To yeah, get so I think, yeah, so BBC, I think, have recently um, launched a new small um, kind of uh, micro, a bit like a Raspberry Pi kind of thing, and um, there's a lot of online learning that goes with it. Um, I actually bought one for our friend's um, son who's um, seven for, for his birthday. Um, so it's about... 16 pounds it comes it's got four or five different sensors on it it's got a speaker microphone um and those kind of things so i think to get people in early on that and, and using scratch as the language so something really accessible um i think i think they're really nice i mean whatever age you are if you're interested in it you know it's 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 quite reasonably priced it's in a little box to get hold of all the learning materials online. You know, it's quite a nice, it's quite a nice way in to learn about it, even if you just want to play with it. And yeah. Interesting. 
And well, what's that called again? I'm going to write that down because I've got a seven-year-old. I, I think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's from the. I think it's a BBC micro. I think they've gone back to calling it that almost. Right. Um, okay. They sell them on. They sell them on the Raspberry Pi stores and um, all the places like that. But it is. Um, yeah, it's really good. Comes with comes with the batteries, everything you need. Plug it into your plug it into your computer <clears> to download the code to, and then and then it runs independently. So yeah, it's a neat, neat little thing, and there's lots of learning material with it. So uh, no, yeah, it's, really no, it's inter- it's interesting because one thing I would love my children to get into is um, kind of software engineering and software development. I just yeah. think of of most things these days. If anything's got the strongest future, um, it, it's software engineering. Um, yeah. so no, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so. <clears throat> When you were, when would you? Obviously, that gives us an overview of when you became interested in technology. Would you yeah. say there was a certain point where you thought to yourself, "Do you know what? I'd love to do this for a living." Yeah. Um, so I finished um, when I was finishing school. I was looking at what A levels to do, um, and then I was doing. Um, I was going to do um, maths, physics, and um, electronics. They were the three subjects I was going to choose to do. And then at the sixth form I was going to go to, they didn't run electronics because there wasn't enough people who wanted to do it at A-level. So they said, oh, well, we do computing instead. So do you want to do that? So I was like, it's the nearest thing. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. So um, when I went to sort of do my A-levels, I had two really good um, computing teachers. um, And they went sort of a bit above the curriculum and sort of we learned to program in um, Turbo Pascal rather than just... um, uh, use sort of Microsoft Access to create a database. And we did real programming from sort of 17 onwards. And they taught you the structures. And it's just something that obviously was interesting, but also I could do. <laughs> I was interested yeah. in it and I could do it. So, um, yeah, it sort of went from there, really. So good teachers really made you interested in the subject and um, sort of pushed you through it. So, um, yeah, so that's where that came from, really. And then I thought, well, this is something I can do. I, I enjoy doing it. Um, yeah, and it, it went from there, really. Do you think you still enjoy software development these days as much as you did in the younger days? Yeah, I think it's it's quite different for me in my role now. So yeah. I'm, I have to, I think my role now is to not get hands-on as much. And I think it's important I don't, even yeah. when I want to, even when there's something cool and someone's doing something new. Um, and I quite like to be involved in that. I think it's important to separate my role from that. But, you know, I just I just be involved in a different part of the process now. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, help working with the customers or making sure the team have what they need or, you know, what technology we might decide to use. So help with those decisions. So, yeah, no, I mean, we do. I'm quite we're quite lucky. We do a lot of really interesting projects because TWI aren't a software house. You know, we're a very small part of a big company. Yeah. So everything else that goes on is interesting. And then we sort of bring software to that. And I think, um, like you said, that. Uh, Software is more and more integral to everything we do. So the engineering side of what happens in um, our company previously, you know, sort of 15 years ago, wouldn't have been too much software, but everything now needs software. So, yeah, um, yeah we get involved in lots of different things, which, which, is, which is really interesting. Okay. And um, we speak to a lot of, obviously, a lot of different people. And when people start to get towards management, some people do tend to get a little, uh, little angsty because they miss that hands-on side of things. Um, so it's good to hear that you're kind of embracing that and enjoying it. Um, yeah. So obviously you did your A levels, um, yep. and then you, did you go to university? I did, yeah. So you um, did. Yep, I went and did a, a computer science degree with um, a year in industry. Okay, and who was the uh, year with? Uh, BA Systems. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was, I think that that was really good. I mean, at the time when obviously I finished sixth form, there wasn't really apprenticeships in software development or that kind of thing they weren't really sort of very prevalent at the time so the natural way to go to further education was was to university but I was always keen to do um the working in industry part of it to kind of separate yourself out of it to show you've got some experience when you finish with it and it was it was you know definitely definitely worthwhile one of the best things um I did in that yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that we see um, from obviously a recruitment perspective is anybody who did that year in industry um, when they're at university tends to do much, much better when going into the industry, coming out of university. Um, there seems to be a, a bit of a divide there, which is um, it's obviously a shame for the people who didn't, but the people who did, they, they do really hit the floor running, which is good. Um, so what was university like then? Tell us about university. What, yeah, what you so- can tell us about university. <laughs> 
No, it was really good. Um, so I, I went to um, Canterbury, um, University of Kent. Um, they were at the top. So I looked around all of the six different universities I picked to apply to um, because I think it's I think it's really important when you go to university to actually be happy in the surroundings and want to be there. So yeah. it's not just about the quality of the course. Um, it's about actually wanting to be there. So I think it was quite clear from the places I went, there was like, there was one or two that I felt I would have fitted into. Um, and Can- Canterbury, just, it just is quite like, I mean, I come from a village just outside Cambridge. It's a similar kind of town. You know, it sort of, um, sort of fit quite well. And the course was really good. It was the first... Um, uh, authorized Java campus in Europe. Um, one of the guys over at Sun went to university there, so he set it up as a Java campus. So um, they had a lot of backing from Sun, so the course was quite good. It was, you know, very sort of open with learning Java and object oriented, you know, which is obviously the big newish thing at the time. So um, so it was quite good. But yeah, no, it was um, lots of lots of different variety of subjects. Um, yeah, no, good, good teachers. It was, it was, it was good. It was quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of taught classes in the first year. So, you know, a lot of people go to university and they don't have many, many classes. You had, it was just like a bit like just being at A levels. It was, you know, classes all day, every day, pretty much. So to get people up to speed, but, um, yeah. So to get everybody to the same level, because obviously we've done in our course, quite a lot of, um, computing background beforehand where a lot of people joined at the time there wasn't so many places did a levels in it so they kind of got you up to the same level first year and then you progressed on from there but yeah no it was, it was good the final year project um which took up a lot of the time so it was it was pretty good they, they sort of structured it so they sent you out there with this with the core set of skills yeah um didn't use particular <coughs> development environment it was java so you did it all in sort of you know like notepad plus and things like that so learned the fundamentals to apply to whatever language or whatever where you were going you know so um i think that was pretty good yeah and like i say the year in industry was um yeah really really time well spent i was lucky i was in a good team you know so i had lots to do lots of interesting things to to contribute towards you know in a a big company so that was that's very different from where when i finished university and went to went to twi i went from a tower block at BA of 15 floors of programmers to a team of 10. <laughs> so very different. So for anybody who's um, maybe thinking about university who might be listening, um, I mean, what, what was the lifestyle like? What was, uh, apart from the courses and things like that, uh, what was the um, the kind of day-to-day lifestyle like of living away from home and, and uh, yeah, kind of the, the, whole, the more social side? Yeah, no, it was um, no, it was really good. I mean, I didn't um, no one from uh, my sixth form or any of my friend group went to the same university. I picked it yeah. purely because that was the right place to go. So, um, I think that's quite a daunting thing at um, at eighteen, wherever, wherever you go, because um, it's the first time you sort of stand there on your own. You realise you don't know anyone. Yeah, you've know, never had that before. You've had your mum or your dad, hopefully, or someone, friends or family. Um, and then you you know no one so I think that's that's quite a daunting thing so I think you saw that um, if people got through the first four or six weeks then they stayed a few people struggle with that and the adjustment of it so I think that's quite hard but I think if you can get yourself through the first four or six weeks you know and then um, then you move from there but yeah no lots of made lots of friends there. I mean one of my one of my best friends is one I worked with in um, the year in industry I didn't really know okay. him during the first two years too well um, he came up. He came to the same place as me, you know, became great friends, lived together in the final year and when we shared a house and things and still great friends now. So I think um I think it's good. Yeah. I think um when I say that initial adjustment is hard and anybody yeah. that doesn't find it hard, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily believe them because there'll be something you <laughs> miss and you'd rather come home, which is easier. So um but yeah, you know, I think it I think it really helps. It does help shape you being able to go and deal with those things and yeah, yeah, on it's... your own character building as well at that age isn't yeah, it um absolutely. okay that's good um so obviously completing university um starting to look for kind of commercial work yeah. um when did you get into the technologies that you're working with today so did you go straight into that um did you choose that beforehand um so i i, I could have gone back and worked for um ba at the end of my degree they asked me a job back there um, but that's uh, quite a journey into South London from where I live, and I was keen to stay, um, to stay in the Cambridge area. So um, I saw saw a job advert in the local paper. Um, 
went for that. And then, um, yeah, so, I, so that's how I started working at TWI. And um, basically, it was kind of a little bit of a regression technology-wise, I suppose, because we were still using Visual Basic 6 to um, yeah. do a lot of our work. So I'd sort of used a little bit of .NET, which was the new thing, and everybody's using Visual Studio, and that was sort of coming out and starting to get stable enough to be used. But TWI hadn't moved to that yet, being a smaller team. So I kind of went back a little step with that. But, um, and then once we progressed through um, and got the time to redevelop the software, we moved into .NET and Microsoft Stack. So we, we've pretty much always been a Microsoft Stack. Um, we use other technologies when we need to because we're only a small part of the business. We're not directed from the top of you must use this or this yeah. tool. So that's, that's quite nice. But um, we, we tend to stay with that. We know, we know where we are with it. So quite early on, I got involved in... Microsoft, which was um, which was amazing, things like Visual Studio, where you could put breakpoints in the code. I'd never seen anything like that. Um, I'd, I'd, uh, we worked at BAE in some uh, much older languages like Ada 86, um, so like really textual-based languages. So if you wanted to work out what was happening with your code, you had to put debug text in, run it, go and get the file afterwards. You could stop the code in the middle and see what was happening. To me, it was mind-blowing to save, to save time. <laughs> It was just like everybody else just looked like, well, yeah, this is how you do it. And I was like, it just makes life so much easier. So, um, yeah, so using the newer IDE was something for me and, um, yeah, really good. Okay. So how did you find that? Uh, obviously, you'd, you'd done a year at BAE um, yeah. as kind of year in, uh, year in year in work. So what, what was it like going from university uh, and then going into a kind of full-time commercial position? What was the first few months of that like? Yeah, um, it it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I think, like I say, the UN industry helped a lot because yeah. I've been in a really structured um, <clears throat> environment about how you develop software. Um, you know, there was you know, it's like I say, it's fifteen floors of programming. So you know, everything was well structured. You knew how you were supposed to work. That was very clear. Um, so the transition to somewhere smaller like gave you a lot much more freedom to how you want to do it. So I'd got set ideas of this is how you develop. So um, I could be a bit, a bit, bit more free about how we did it. You know, obviously yeah. we had procedures and, and work instructions of how we work, but you know, you had that scope for more. You know, we had things like the internet <laughs> to look stuff yeah. up on. Didn't have that. weren't allowed that um, because of the environments we worked in. So um, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a transition because I'd had that um, year in industry. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. But the difference was that because we were much smaller, you got involved in all stages of the software development lifecycle. So whereas um, at BAE, I was part of the team that would look at um, problems and solving issues that had happened with the software that was released. Um, you suddenly come into a team where you're looking at it from requirements, development, testing, yeah. deployment. So you saw the whole, whole lifecycle, which was obviously quite a change, but that was what interested me with it, that you could be involved in a bit more. Um, because they weren't such massive scale projects, which was, yeah. um, which was good. So how long have you been with TWI? Um, 17 years, I think now. Yeah, very important. <laughs> That's uh, it's some achievement. Like um, there's, a, there's a statistic where most software developers tend to stay with the same business around three years. Yeah. Um, that's a statistic that we have as a recruitment business and stay there that long is impressive. Um, so... What, the, when you first joined TWI, was you a junior software developer, a graduate developer? What, what was your position then? Yeah, so because we're um, not primarily software, we have the sort of the term when you join is sort of a graduate, kind of called a project leader. Okay. So most of the most of the work that TWI does is it's a membership based organisation. So um, you come to us with um, you needed some a problem solved or some investigation to why something happened with some materials or something like that. So normally you run a project, so you'd um, have a uh, write a proposal, excuse me, for a client, write a proposal, they'd accept it, um, you'd work out a budget, do the project, deliver it, and that was it. So they're kind of called project leaders. So so I went in at the project leader level, which meant that you know I could be involved with with all those those aspects of it. So I started off I started there. So kind of a graduate, yeah, software engineer, I guess would be okay. the term in our industry. But yeah. And then how did you um how did you start to build yourself and your career through TWI? What what does the journey look like there? Okay. Um so I 
after I'd worked there probably uh, four or five months, um, somebody more senior in the team left, and yeah. they looked after a couple of the products we sell. Um, and then um, my my manager asked me, said, you know, this this person's leaving. Do you want to look after them? So I was like, well, I can't say no. <laughs> even though, even though I don't really know that much about them or how they're going to work. I can't say no. I've got to try it. So um, yeah, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go for it. So that was sort of moving into the Visual Basic Six work. Um, which I'd not used before, um, so so I, so I took those on really, and then um, I just I always wanted to see how, where we could move them to. Once I learned about them and understood what they did and where they fitted within the industry, and um, what could we do to to make them better, to to sell more, to make it more usable? You know, what can we, how can we improve it? Um, so I think that was one of the things I was really always keen to do. Um, and, and and take them on and, and make them better and own them. So they were kind of mine, which was nice yeah. quite early on. So I could I could kind of take them and, and work with the people, the engineers in the company and sort of make them better and, and own them and, and run projects on them and deliver them for customers, you know. So I I, I, I like that aspect of it. So I think um I showed I showed that quite early on and, and got involved in, in those kind of things, um, which was which was good. Um yeah, and then um working with the working with the clients as well. So I, I always wanted to understand from the customer point of view what they wanted to do. Um, so I'd be happy to go out and talk with the customers and um, demonstrate the software or, or work with them on that side of things. So I, I, I think that's really important to progress as a software engineer. You know, if you understand what the customer wants and you're going to deliver a better solution to them. Okay. And most of TWI customers, so are they external or internal? Um, so in our, it's, it's probably, um, 50, 50. Okay. Um, so, so we have a few products we sell off the shelf and do customizations for, but we also do some software development internally to help with projects or run the business. So, so really, it really depends. Um, last year we had quite a lot of external work, but, um, this year we've seen some external work, but we've got quite a bit of internal work coming up as well. So, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, and when did you? Um, so, what, what you've just described there was that this was that when you were a senior project leader. Was that the next step up? Yeah, that, that was kind of the next step. So that was when sort of I've been looking after the um, products for a while and involved in a few more projects and then sort of moved to the moved to the next level. Yeah, and then so I spent a long time doing that and looking after products and um, uh, you know, visiting customers. A lot of our customers were in the are in the in the states, so I spent a lot of time going back and forwards to the states to to work with them on projects and um, support them and that kind of thing um, and deliver some, some training courses on it as well, you know? Um, so, so I did a, did a lot of, a lot of that um, at that level. Yeah. To try and enhance the product or, or do whatever we needed to do. Cause like I say small team. So you, you fit in and, and find where, what needs doing and you, and you do it really. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and then obviously the next step for yourself was the business systems manager role. Yeah. So yeah. So, how did that come about? What did that look like? Yeah. So that was a, that was a move of move of team. Um, so so rather than being in sort of just software development, this was moving across to a different part of the IT department to um, to start um, uh, a sort of a more of a, a more of a managerial role. So the business systems team we looked after basically um, all internal work. So the tools that run the business. So um, Microsoft CRM, our intranet, um, any tools like that. Uh, dynamics the financial systems those those kind of things so um not something i had a great deal of experience in i'd obviously worked on the other side of it and used the tools and seen those so um, yeah yeah i was keen to um i thought i was probably more suited to to a role doing those kind of things so it was something i wanted to try so so basically um manager of the business system team um got promoted and then um that role came up so i thought well let's let's go for that and see how it works out try it so yeah okay um, would you say that you've? Would you say that you have um, kind of learned a lot moving through your? It sounds like anyway, you've learned a lot by being chucked in the deep end a few times, um, yeah. like being a little out of depth, but managing yeah. to kind of climb on top of it and and learn as you're going along. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think you shouldn't be afraid of of trying something, trying something new because if you've got the core skills in software development, wherever it might be, wherever you're working. You know, languages change, technologies change, but the principles are all the same. If you've got that foundation of you know 
how you feel it should be developed or a project run, whatever you might be involved in that. Um, it's always going to be a different language, a different something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, delivery is, delivery is key, I think. So, you know, if you can, if you're confident on delivery and you set the expectations out, I think that, that, that goes a long way um, with, with being successful in it because you're never going to do any of these things on your own. You're always going to need the team of people around you to help you deliver that. So, yeah. um, you know, you bring those people in. Um, you, you can't do it on your own. You won't do a good job. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then after that, it's obviously the position that you're in at the minute then, which is software engineering manager. Um, so how, tell us a little bit about how that came about and, and what you do today. Yep. So um, so, so the, the manager of the software development team, um, they were looking for a new manager. So I, so I then hopped back. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was hopped back, hopped back. So slightly bigger, bigger team back in software development. And obviously um, my, my original and the thing that I'm sort of most most interested in so so yeah i i um, went for that job so yeah so that's um yeah that was um different coming back going back into the team that you yeah, used yeah. to work in and then and then looking was after it, it was it a similar team from a member's perspective did you did you know those guys had you worked with them before yeah so we still i sat i moved desks about 20 foot when okay. I moved, when I moved <laughs> together. so yeah no so no, but and and TWI is kind of a, is a company. Um, people either stay for a short time or a long time, it seems. Yeah. So it's one of those that if you like working there, you stay for a long time. Um, so the team was mostly the same as when I left. Um, so, yeah, so I knew I knew nearly everyone in there pretty well. There's a few people who've joined since who I'd obviously knew because we didn't sit far apart, but I never yeah, yeah. worked with them. But, um, yeah, so... Yeah, it's one of those places that if you look around, I can't remember the average length of service, but it's if you last over six months, you tend to stay quite a long time. Right, okay. That's favourable. Um, yeah. Okay, so what, what was it like going into um, people management then, making that move into people management? Yeah. Um, I, think it's, I think it's quite difficult to start with. I think, you, I think even how well you think you prepare or you've read about stuff or what you learn, um, I think the reality of it is 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 quite tricky, but um, I've been I've been lucky. I've always had um, good people in the teams. You know, we obviously have hiccups and difficulties in any team whenever you go along. But um, I think I think the biggest thing is um, thinking about yourself when you've been managed and the things that are good, yeah, and yeah. the things that are not so good, yeah, um, and, and remembering those and think I really didn't like it when someone behaved that way towards me. Um, and try not to do those things. And the things that are good, trying to think that's what I need to do. Um, I think that's really key. And one of the other good things is we do we do the um, insights profiles. Okay. So to learn about yourself, so the, the your natural um, way of thinking and your way of working, um, and then understanding how other people think and work. So, you know, to help you communicate effectively with other people because... Um, they separate it into sort of four colours and um, red, which is somebody who's quite dominant, and yellow, which is an ideas person, and green, which is somebody who um, is quite thoughtful, and blue, someone who's quite you know, analytical and procedure-based. So it's good It's good to do that because you learn about um, which one you are, because you might yeah. think you're one and you're actually quite different, but also to how to work with other people because sometimes, you know, we all talk to each other and um, we can't understand why somebody doesn't think the same way as us or, or understand or get the idea yeah, trying yeah, to put yeah. across. So understanding how to talk to them better, I think, is a really important thing um, yeah. in that. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm yellow, which means I'm a, I think I'm a inspiring helper is the group I'm in. So I'm someone who, who has 50 million ideas and is really excited by them. But then I'll, then I'll forget about them and want the new idea next. So I have to know that's me. So when somebody else is quite, you know, wants to follow a procedure and do that, I have to remember that I've already thought about the next thing I'd like to go and build or change or do. So right, okay. No, myself in. <laughs> yeah, is that something created by TWI or is that a kind of universal platform or right, a so like you, framework? Yeah, it's a universal framework. You answer about 20 questions, I think. It's just short questions of giving which, they're sort of like five different things. You have to rank them in which order you feel about. And you get a report back saying, you know, you like to be talked to this way or you like this sort of thing or what, you don't like being talked to this way. Yeah. What's that called again? Insights. Insights. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. So one of the things that um, 
So before I before I made a change to management, um, you could look at your managers, you could look at the work that they do, et cetera, and you think, I could do that. Um, yeah. And then you take that step into management and you realize it's just so much more complex than it looks like from the outside. Yeah. Um, and like we, we look at things like um, understanding the way people learn, which is similar to the insights that you're looking at. But any pieces yeah. of gold that I can pick up like that are brilliant. I, I really yeah. like the idea of that. Um, okay no good stuff um so a couple of questions on that then so um what would you think what would you say would be the the biggest challenge that you've faced um from a professional perspective um and kind of how did you overcome that as an example yep okay um biggest challenge um i think i think project wise i think and software development we took a really big project on um, when I hadn't, I'd probably been working for a year or two. Um, and I, and I, and I don't think I quite grasped the scale of it. Yeah. Um, so it was a massive project for us. Um, it was, you know, a few of us involved and I think we thought, yeah, we'll just do it, we'll work it out. You know, it's fine. Um, and I don't think at the time we had the right project management tools and the right sort of framework in place to do it. So. Um, I think in the end I was working day and night for weeks on end to, to meet the deadline. You know, I can remember sitting there, I can remember sitting in our spare room at home, you know, um, working all night and thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to solve this problem because I'm just so tired and so past being able to think properly. Yeah. You weren't doing anything effective. So I think that really switched something in me when we finished it and we finished it and we did it. Um, but you can't work like that. You can't sustain um, development or any any job properly doing that. So I think that really brought home the need to make sure that you set out timescales that you can meet. Don't just agree to whatever the customer wants. You know, it's got to be you doing it right because you'll produce something better at the end, and everybody will be um, happier with it. The product will be better. I think the, the frameworks and um, setting yourself up for success, I guess, is the most important thing. I'd say I learned from that. Um, and it was and it was difficult and it was hard, but but you know you, you sort of you get there. Um, but I think now there's obviously more better tools to help you with that. You know, development methodologies and things. You know, like agile and things like that that, that are set up better to help you succeed um, with it. So taking those kinds of ideas on, I think, is really important. But like I say, um, making sure that you set out a time scale and everything that's realistic for you. Don't just you know agree to whatever the customer wants yeah. because you'll fail and then <laughs> and they're unhappy it you know it's it doesn't work in the long run yeah i'd say from a from a technical perspective that and from from a management perspective um i think it's all quite difficult i think there's, i think there's different challenges each time and you never know what it's going to be but i think um the most important thing is just being authentic you know to who you are don't yeah. try and be someone you're not you know um that insight stuff's great and tells you about you. So, you know, be you, you know, I think, I think that's really important because that's what's got you to where you are You've yeah. to do that job. It's because somebody thinks you can do it. So yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, don't be someone different. You might have to react or talk in a different way to interact with people, but, but be you, you can tell when somebody's not authentic. And I think yeah. that's, that's management wise, one of the most important things. Um, yeah. If you're red and you shout, then people know that's who you are. Yeah. You know, that, that's who you are. You know, if you yeah. stop doing it, people ask, why are they not being themselves today? It's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So I think that's I think that's the thing to to trust and trust in the way you behave and and, and know that that's the right way. Yeah. No, that it's that's um it's a good point that actually and one thing that we push on very big um is authenticity. So yeah. people people like people at the end of the day. Um, so no, it's good advice. It kind of answers the next question, to be honest with you. So I was going to ask, um, like, what, what, if you could, if you could assign one thing um, that has contributed the most towards you being successful within TWI. I mean, yeah. what would, what would that be? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think, like you say, being being yourself is important. But um, I think, I think. Um, for being successful, I guess I guess delivery is important. <laughs> At the yeah. end of the day, <laughs> yeah. that's what yeah. people that's what people say. Do what you you know, um, do what you say you're going to do, 
and deliver it. And if things change, that's fine. Things change, but but alert people early enough what's going to happen. Don't sit in the background. If you've got a delivery in a month's time, you know a month before you're not going to make it, don't wait till the day before. You know, work out a plan, talk to people, you know, because if something's changed, um, it needs to be talked about and, and, and delivered. You know, it's not always the software development person's fault or whoever's fault. It's, you know, it might be things have changed, priorities have changed. Um, but I think I think that's the thing. I've always tried to deliver what I've said I would, you know. Yeah. So um, I take ownership of that. And, you know, as long as you're comfortable with it, rather than being told you must deliver it in this time when you know you can't, you know, sometimes you have to speak up to yourself on those and you know, say that's just not going to be possible. Um, but then stick to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do what you say you're going to do <laughs> yeah. at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's being brave enough to say that at the start, I can't meet that deadline. Yeah. You know, if, if you really, if you know it's not going to happen, don't leave it three months and go, oh, I hope it will be all right, because it probably won't. Your instincts, if, you're, if you've done it enough times, your instincts will be right. You're probably not going to do it. Or you're going to have to work all night for six weeks and then you're, you're drained and it's not as good as what it could be. Yeah, well, to be fair, again, touching on one of the questions that we had for later, which was uh, around kind of solving business problems with technology. Um, and we said that the, the, the ability to say no um, is so important, um, which is something that not a lot of people can do. Um, yeah. No, it's great, that. And it gives us a really good overview of your kind of journey through technology. So thank you. Thank you very no much. Um, so like we mentioned, um, for the next 10, 15 minutes, just have a quick chat around solving business problems with, with technology. Um, got a few questions to run through just to get some kind of insight and input from yourself. Sure. Um, so the reason that we thought we'd have a chat on this topic is very much towards the point of not every software developer works for a software engineering company. Um, some software engineers work within the tech divisions to help a business solve problems, basically, um, which is quite similar to what you do yourself within TWI. Um, so a couple of questions. First one would be, from an internal systems perspective, um, if you have a problem that people are facing and maybe someone comes up to you with an idea, um, where, where does it begin? Where does it go from an initial idea um, of a maybe a new feature or a new product, et cetera? Um, and then how do you get through to the end product? I mean, what's the process that you follow? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So this is obviously, like I say, something that um, that, we, that we have to do a lot um, because because we're not a, because we're not a software house and in control of our own journey of just we want to make this. Um, yeah. So I think you have to look at the, the positives of that. If somebody comes to you, that's fantastic because they've obviously got a problem they need solving. So yeah. for me, um, one of the most important things to start anything is having a subject matter expert within the team. So having somebody who is effectively a customer who can work within your team. So that's usually where we like to start um, and have them explain what they what it is they want to do um because they know better than you or me um what, what they want to do we can provide we've got to remember we're an enabler with their problem we're not designing something we want we should yeah. be making something that um it's going to help them so like i think i can't remember who it was it described as you've got to take a chunk of someone's mind and that's what you've got to put into the software but it's got to work with the rest of their mind it's no good just being out there and look pretty or do something else. It's got to fit in with how their mind's currently working with the problem. So they do X, they need the software to do Y, and they're going to do Z afterwards. So it's it's that concept of what am I trying to what am I trying to build? Where's the boundaries? Don't go don't go too far. Solve that problem first. Because um, sometimes people come and say, I don't know, we want we could do this, 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 and this, and all these fifty things. Well. Let's find the bit, the, the, the real nub of the problem first yeah. solve that. And then you build around that. You know, it can get bigger. It might not need to because you might build that bit and go, actually, it's going to take a long time or a lot of money to these other bits when really they're not key to what I need solved. So I think, firstly, it's, it's get that subject matter expert within the team or within be, be involved enough to... Um, to contribute so they've got the time to spend with you not just can you make this see you later in six months yeah 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 
It's getting yeah. them to take the time. And that's the best software development projects have those people involved all the time um, because you get the continuous feedback. So get, get the team right to start with. I think that's important. Um, have the, have the, the developers, the testers, the subject matter expert, have them all involved at the start. Um, and, and just have that outline of what, what, what it is you're trying to achieve and, and the main purpose of it. So on um, that, can I just ask a question? So uh, do you have um, like a dedicated BA who would work with the um, the kind of customer? Or do um, you, does the customer like come in, basically be, get become integrated into your team of developers, et cetera, for the time that that product is being developed? Yeah, in, in an ideal world, they'll, they'll be in, in with the team. So for the products we sell, um, off the shelf, we have a subject matter expert who's basically part of the team, which yeah. is ideal, which is ideal. Yeah. But that can't happen every time because you know someone might come with an idea, but they've got to carry on with their, their work day to day. So yeah, yeah. it'll just be get enough of a buy-in so that they can they can be there for an hour or two. Um, and then you can go through where you are with things and, and, and how it's working. So that they have time to spend on the project. It's not just handing it over to software. They still need to own it. Think that's the thing it's their their thing to own we'll make it appear but they need to own what's going to happen yeah yeah so um that'll be something that in our team i i might do or, or one of one of the others um so to keep the developers developing so they're involved in the meetings but keep them focused on what they need to deliver and then i can come in without doing the development work and sort of say well this is what i think they want and be that intermediary it's interesting that actually because I've seen that quite a lot from my own perspective, whether it be with um, software that we've we're having created, or it could even be kind of marketing marketing documents or anything like yeah. that. Where if I've I've kind of briefed somebody on what it is that I want them to create, but then told myself or made excuses of being too busy to join in these meet the meetings that I need to be in on a recurring yeah. bit, like, oh, no, you take care of that. I, I've got this to do. I've given you that to do. But then what I've noticed is the end result is never something that I'm happy with. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you can, I've looked at that from a marketing perspective, from a, a software engineering perspective. You can kind of, you can yeah. see how that principle would work in various different areas. Um, and I've seen the, the the disappointing outcomes that can come from not having that in, in the process. Yeah, so I think we've been involved in some um, software development projects where um, external customers have put their own business analysts or employed extra business analysts to sit between us and the customer because yeah. I think it helps. But ultimately, it doesn't because it's just another Chinese whisper, another translation yeah. <laughs> of, of, of what, what, what did you think you wanted? Well, and then it changes again and then they don't see it and then they go, well, this isn't what I asked for. But, you know, having that, Having that customer interaction, be it internal or external, is really, is it really it helps it succeed. And like you say, it's not just software specific. That's you know your yeah. idea and your mind and how you communicate until you see it and go. If it's you know marketing material, well, I I never would have thought it was going to look like this. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 that thing. So yeah, so getting if you can get your customer, encourage them to keep owning it from the start, really helps. It's not just hand it off, make me some software, come back. Um, they'll get what they want ultimately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you can do that, that's that's fantastic. Um, and then from there, um, I think one thing that's really important is having a good, um, a good template, documents, whatever they might be, for writing your specs and your requirements, so that um, you have everybody involved. So so it's going to be a document that's useful for the developers and for the test team and for whoever else. So you can you get all the information you need in that, and, and that's hard to do. And it's taken us years to try and get, get it better and better and better so that we can make our products better because we do a lot of rules-based software. Yeah. So it's obviously taken a lot of um, rules from books and making them into software. So, you know, visually... There's obviously some work there to be done to present it in the right way, but also it's so the rules are accurate and right. They're being used in you know important safety systems and things like that. So we have to get the rules right. We have to test yeah, them right. Yeah. So you know if we can't, if the tester can't test from that, then that's going to take him a long time or her a long time to um, get back to what was that rule actually supposed to achieve. So it's creating a, a document that's that's you know spend time on it, 
and be useful to everybody because that will save you so much time further down the road of getting all the tests prepared and those kind of things which can go on whilst the development. So to squeeze the time down, I think that's um, really useful. Um, and then make sure that the customer knows once you've sort of worked out what you want to do, make sure the customer understands this is what you're delivering. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be this. Yeah. And own it. And that, that's what you're going to get. And if you want to change it, that's fine, but there's impacts to changing it. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to change it, let's change it now <laughs> before yeah, we've yeah, gone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we will give um, our customers – so we use JIRA for our project management. Okay. Um, and we'll give customers access to that. That's fine. Externally, we'll let them see it. You know, this is what we're working on, you know. Um, I think that's I think that's nice that they can – it gives them confidence, hopefully, that they see yeah. what we're doing. Um, but also, if they want to add stuff, then they can put things in, you know. They, they can add, say, I, I want a feature to do this. Then you can discuss it. You know, it gives them – they haven't got to send it to us. We've got to remember to put it in. You know, they, they could put it in themselves if they feel comfortable doing that. Some do, some don't. But but we, but we will offer that to them if they want to because then um, they might suddenly think of something, they can put it in. Then next time we're having a, a meeting, we can then say, well, what, what do you actually want to do here? Because they might describe what they think is the feature, but really when you get down to it, you know, they might say, I need a checkbox here, I need this rule tested here, but really you get down to it. The actual problem is slightly different and we're the ones who can make it appear in the right way yeah. Um, so just by giving you that, you can then get good feedback. And then they own it as well. You know, they've made that product. So then they go and champion it in their business because they've invested their time in it. You know, software take-ups, sometimes the hardest bit, you know. You might produce something that does everything they want to, but if nobody's on board with it in the business, it'll, it, won't, it won't appear, it won't last. So if you've got those champions, those people who own it in the business and say, look, come on, we've worked hard on this. We've all been involved, you know, yeah. that's often your, that's often your challenge of what's a successful piece of software compared to one that isn't, it might work just the same, but it's, it's buying. So. And are you often involved in the implementation and uptake phase? So that what, what you met, what you say there kind of rings a little true with ourselves. So that the amount of times where we've had um, multiple people get involved with maybe a new external product that we think is going to be, oh, it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, everybody really likes it. We go through the demo. We go on a, a trial basis. And then we get it in, implemented into the business. And lo and behold, you ask somebody, nobody's using it anymore. It's like, we've just signed this up for six months or we've just signed up for this for 12 months. You yeah. use the tool. Um, so are you involved in that side of things at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we would we would encourage them to have a plan of how they're going to release this to their internal customers if it was a tool they were buying from us. Yeah. So that might be, you know, we also, we have a team that um, create e-learning packages as well. Um, that sits outside of my team, but um, you know we offer that as well to you know to yeah. help to help the uptake those kind of things. But it is it is encouraging you know to get people involved early in the you know have someone from whichever departments are using it have them involved. Work out who are the is every company has key influencers, doesn't they? They have people who if they say it's brilliant, people agree. If they say it's rubbish, people yeah agree. yeah yeah. You know those are the people you need to try and get involved early because. If they've had the input to it, um, you know, they're going to probably back you because they'll say, well, weren't you involved in it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's my idea. So, so it's good. So, I mean, I've been in, I've been in a training session where um, I was giving a training course on our software. And at the end, I sort of asked, was there any questions to a, it was a lecture theatre full of um, engineers. One guy put his hand up and said, this won't work for us. <laughs> And I was going, I just thought, I don't know what to say here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the guy who was the project manager and owned it from their side, he just stood up and said, you were invited to all the meetings. You didn't attend any of the meetings. You gave us no input to this product. So you'll use it. If you didn't like it, you should have said something earlier. Yeah, yeah. And then that's what you need. You need, you know, that they took control of that and said, you know, you were invited, you know. So right, okay. the, more, the more people you get involved that are influencers early on, the better it is because hopefully the take-up's better, like you say. There's always going to be some things that aren't right for everybody, that's true, but then you work on those as, as it goes out there. But um, if you can get it embedded in their process, um, I think you're usually on to a winner. 
Right. Okay. Good stuff. So I think you've answered a couple of the other questions going through that, to be honest with you. So we were going to talk about kind of how do you ensure great communication between the tech and non-tech teams? Um, But obviously implementing the customer into the team is, I I expect, would be the answer to that. That, That's that's the the best way we can hopefully do it. But if we don't have that, because um, on some of our products, because we have engineers internally, we can bring someone in to help us with that if the customer doesn't have time. Because sometimes they don't. With all the, the best will in the world, they've got their own jobs to do. So, you know, we're quite lucky that we have that aspect of I could go to phone up another department and say, you know, can you can you help us with this? So that's where it turns to our advantage of not just being a software house. Yeah. Um, we, we, can, we can bring our own ideas into that. So sometimes that's really important because sometimes we'll have a customer who um, – knows they want something but don't really know quite how they want to do it but yeah. we have the engineers to say well why don't you go for it like this you know and, and do that so you know that that's how i would deal with it if um if you if the customer didn't have time if they just wanted to hand it over we can then bring someone in or use someone we already have as a subject matter expert in the company um to influence that and, and show them it and, and not take up all their time yeah um, but yeah ideally get them involved but you know, if not, we're quite lucky that we have that. And that's kind of our unique selling point to um, to the industry we work in, that we have the engineering skills as well. It's not yeah. just a software house. So that's where we sort of niche ourselves in. Right, okay. Um, and obviously, you've, you've kind of eliminated the question of um, how do you eliminate the back and forth um, Yeah aspect of, of developing like oh no that's not what i asked for can you go and change it etc still um, happens every time yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah always, we always we all, we all have trouble with that but yeah no it's, it's to try and try and minimize early delivery on that you know um helps you know, yeah something visually to see you know whether that be um mock-ups i mean i've become quite a fan lately of um, making quick mock-ups of everything is that um you know that's something that we do we do more of now um, just you know outline drawings of, of what you might see how it might work just to make sure that what we've talked about is really what you want so yeah. early delivery on some visual things is nice because that really gets everyone's you know as a customer or anyone it gives you you know your creative side and you look at it and go actually i didn't think it would look like that at all you know if we know that early on changing the underlying structure software wise is easier than if we get to the end and suddenly i didn't want it to look like that at all or whatever yeah, yeah. you know um, so I think early delivery as much as you can gives you the best chance of delivering something that they're going to want. Okay. Um, and effectively managing in stakeholder expectations as well. So I expect that would, again, it, it comes from the whole process of having the customer involved. Yeah, it, it, it's ownership as well from their part. Yeah. You know, this is what you're buying. You know, we, we can make it for you, but you, you need to own it. This is what you're, this is what you're signing up to get. Um, and trying to and trying to help them with that early on, not just a set of requirements. This is how this is how we might build it. This is what we're going to do. It's worth taking that bit of time at the start to make sure that they know what they're getting. You know what you're expected to deliver. You know, is it got to connect to three different systems that you've never heard of? Because that's probably going to cost loads of money. Somebody might have told you it's easy. You know, it's got an API. How many times do I hear that? <laughs> it's got an API, so you can just connect to it. Never happens. But if you know that, you can set up the expectations of this This might be tricky. Do you really want to spend all your money on that? Or do you want to spend it on something else all the time? You know, um, if it's that important, then do it. If not, can we find a cheaper, easier way around it? I think um, getting that whole, getting them to, like I say, own the own the development as well, you know, yeah. is, is key. And then, and then when they ask for something different, it's, well, what do you not want to do? If it's got to be delivered by a certain day, we can change what we do, but we can't just do everything in the same time. We can't, you know, magic 10 more sets of hands or yeah. 10 extra hours in the day. It just doesn't happen. So I think okay. it's understanding that is, is, is important. To, yeah, to no, that's good. Um, and what about kind of, let's say you've got 10 different projects on the go. I don't know how many projects you do manage at the same time, but let's say you've got multiple projects on the go at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a process that you follow in order to prioritize your workload? Um, I think we we generally have to be quite fluid because um, we'll get the, because we get obviously questions and things from the business as well as externally. 
yeah. obviously everyone internally is important to keep happy because um, <laughs> otherwise the, the business might not be doing what it needs to do. So we have to move quite quite quickly with it. Um, so I think generally, if we have an external project with deadlines, we'll, we'll, we keep working on that. That's obviously really important. Um, but because everything's in Jira, we use the same tools um, and we try and make sure we all have an understanding of different projects we might work on. We can move across um, different things quite easily from working on one project to the other. So um, it used to be more of a problem. I think we've all worked hard to try and um, rationalise that a bit to make it yeah. so that, that we can move across. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think it would ever work if I had Microsoft Project and I had a Gantt chart of everything and that's what we have to stick to. That would be yeah. thrown out in about five minutes. Right. I think when somebody rings up, this has fallen over. We need this to run to do this other yeah, project. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's quite it's quite fluid. Um, so I don't have any, I don't have any um, great ideas. And I think expect the unexpected is probably the main. Thing. <laughs> Just be ready for it um, and make sure that you know you feel you have enough coverage on different things for that. You know, either yeah. the instructions are out there, the environment can be built. You know, we used to have a lot of trouble with um, building environments. So. You know, if, if I suddenly had to go and do some development work, I know that I could I could download all the code, set up the environment, all the tools are there. I could do it quite quickly and then get up and running. You know, it used to be something we struggled doing, moving from machine to machine. Um, but, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time on work and, 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 it, and, it, and it pays off. It, you know, it doesn't show anything to start with, but, you know, the time you save, if you suddenly have to have five people working on one thing or five on another or moving it across to be there. So. Yeah, just just be ready for it to change because it, right. it will. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and th th this is pretty much the final question on this. Um, and it's a little selfish, to be honest with you, because this is something that has frustrated me in the past with different kind of software providers and things like that. Um, so it'd be good to understand it a little. Um, so when when do you know to say no to, to a request or to a project? So the reason that I ask that is with different software providers, some of them you can create your own workflows and your own way of working working through things um and i'm 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 crazy for uh, efficiency myself and i'm always looking at ways to make things more efficient how can how can we reduce two clicks to one click how can we do this do that um yeah. and the, a lot of the companies we work with you can submit feature requests yeah. Um, and I'll speak to the company and I'll say, we want to submit this feature request. It's going to enable us to save this, this much time, et cetera. Um, it's going to make our job easier. Uh, and then they come back and say, no, it wouldn't be popular enough. Um, so, no, we, we can't do that for you. And it's just like, well, <laughs> am I not a customer? Am I, <laughs> am I not a, a, a paying customer? So, I mean, when, yeah. when do you know as a, as a software engineering team when to say no, what you should be working on, what you shouldn't be working on? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. Yep. So no, I'm I'm the one who says no, and then yeah, <laughs> yep. So no, I think um, I think so. We have um, we have quite a few large customers um, who, who who request lots of things, and I think I think from a software development perspective, um, it seems like how how you think you work is the way that everybody works. Yeah. So. So you, you'll get a request from 10 different people to work in 10 different ways. And it's all, this is how it's done. So, you know, handling that is, is tricky because it's never the same way. So I think we've learned over time to try and generalize how the software works and make it quite adaptable. But there'll always be cases where it, it, it doesn't happen. So if it's something that does get a few people interested, we will build into the off-the-shelf software. But because we're project-based, if it's something that's really that important to you, you can have a custom development. You can have it your way. But be prepared of you know, you're going down that road of it's, it's just specially for you. So yeah, yeah. I, think, I think sometimes it can help if you've, if you've got the time and the resources to um, go through with someone when they need something desperately that's impossible to work without, you know, how they can get around these problems sometimes. I think it's... You know, there's obviously workarounds to do various things. Um, so that's important. But um, I, th I think saying no is you do have to look at the majority and, and, and take that where, you know, 
you'll walk away and not be always happy with it because um, it's not going to be exactly what you want. But we give you, we, we try and give you that option saying, well, you can have that. And lots of companies do do that. They, they you know, they go totally customize the way they want because um, they're used to the system they have. They're used to the workflow. Um, they've been doing it for 30 years. So they need to keep that. So I think it's understanding that when they say their way of working is unique, is it really unique or yeah. not? So I think that's experience. And that would be something that, you know, we'd get a subject matter expert or myself or someone like that to, to, to look at because we've been to see enough companies and talk with enough people in our, in our quite niche industry um, to, um, to know whether that's totally different or it's something we build in. So, I mean, we have had, Features that we've customized for customers, and then they, and then when we make a new version of software, it might be in there, you know, generally because it's a really great idea. You know, sometimes we'll share costs with those and we'll pay for them because um, they, they develop the product, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, 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 a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because you're going to upset people because, um, yeah, that's the way it is. But I think believe in, believe in the way you're going with it, you know. It's, it's, it's trust, trust the process, but, but listen, you've got to listen to, to what people want because what they might actually want is very specific, but generally you can probably maybe work something out that will, that will help everyone. You know, you can widen it out a little bit. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, but it's having the confidence to say no, to to say no, not to just accept it because if you do that to everyone, you're going to end up with um, (laughs) too much work, deliver nothing and everyone's unhappy. Um, yeah, tough, okay. tough one. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Good answer, though. Very good answer. Um, so, a couple of questions to close. Then, really quickly, um, okay. if you could change one thing about the tech industry, what would it be? Um, people who say no. So, I think that gives us a, <laughs> people. I think that gives us a bad, a bad rep. So, sometimes if you're, if you're, um, we should be enablers. That's what we should be. You know, we don't like a. I've said a bit before, we don't own this. We're providing it as a service as much as anything. Yeah. You know, so sometimes I, it's quite frustrating when you see people say, you can't have this, this is impossible, this is impossible, um, those sorts of things. Um, I think explaining to people why this is difficult helps a lot, not just no, 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 this is hard. If I've got to connect X up with Y, it's, you just can't do it. Well, you probably can do it, but the cost is going to be prohibitive. So explaining the reasons for those things, um, I think to non-technical people is really important. I think sometimes people in technology think that they know all of it, so they don't need yeah. to explain it. I think explaining it's so important because, you know, most people are bright. They just need to know why you feel like that. So I think that's the one thing I change. It gives, it gives IT a bad name sometimes because they're always the ones who stop us doing something. Yeah. I'd like to change. I'd like to not have that. Sometimes you say no, but provide your reasons. No, it's under, it's it's, uh, it's it's actually touching on what I mentioned before. Like my yeah. frustration is not really getting an explanation as to why you can't do this for me. It's just like yeah. no, sorry, we can't do that. Um, exactly. and it, but yeah, if you if they were to explain it a little, I'm, I may have understood it a bit better. I, th- I think that's I think that's really that's really important because sometimes you know, like say, we'll work with our customers and their IT departments might say you can't have this, you just can't have it. And yeah. You think, well, I don't know why they can't. It might be cost too much or whatever. That's yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a decision. That's a business decision. But they can't have it. Not usually a can't. It's a won't. So I'd like I'd like that to be a bit more open. Yeah, no, good answer, great answer. Um, and if you could have, if you could have learned one skill that you haven't learned, so let's mm-hmm. say you you got to where you are today and you had one additional skill that you maybe haven't worked too hard on yourself at the moment, what would it be? Oh, um, I think I think I'd I'd love to know more and have learned more early on about um, augmented reality kind of things. Oh, okay. I think. I think when I I think when I first saw like the Nintendo Wii came out, you know, everyone had one at home of you know physical screen. It was yeah, the first yeah. sort of consumer part, and I looked and I thought, there's so much you can do with these kind of things. And now you see with you know hollow lens and all those. I'd love to be able to spend more time and have gone back and, and, and got involved in that. And I see so many opportunities with that once the product's right. I don't yeah. think we've kind of got the product right yet. Anyone's done that, but 
you know, the scope for things with that to help learning and um, improve what you see and the data you have around you. Yeah, you have yeah. so much data in the world, way too much to interpret to a human brain. So presenting that to people, I think, is a massive thing. Um, so I'd like to be able to have done more with that or know more about that to be able to to, to make that happen because I think that's I think that's truly changes how we how we see stuff and, and, and use the information around us. No, brilliant, fantastic, yeah, great answer. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed that chat, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. A lot of uh, a lot of really good insights, some great answers, some good recommendations for me to take away myself, which is always brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, thank you very much for joining us. Um, it's no been an absolute pleasure, um, and I'll end here, and we'll we'll catch up soon. Okay, yeah, cheers, Sean. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks. See you later. Cheers. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified of any future conversations with leading technology managers. If anyone would be interested in coming on the podcast, feel free to reach out at sean, S-E-A-N dot R-A-G-A-N-I-S at progress talent.com.